Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues on in the Bible series on the book of Acts with part one of this message entitled, How to Become a Christian. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Out of an adulterous generation, an evil generation, a wicked generation, a warped and twisted generation, saved out of a world that is organized under Satan against the true and living God, saved into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where there is life, eternal pleasures forevermore, where there is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Open our minds, O Lord, to receive the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Modern man is asking all sorts of questions. Modern man asks the question, how can I make a lot of money? And if you made a lot of money, then modern man asks the question, how can I make myself more beautiful and handsome? Modern man asked the question, he made his money, now he asked the question, how can I live long and enjoy the fruit of my labor? Modern man asked the question, how can I memorialize myself? How can I leave a legacy so that when I will have gone, people will still think about me? That's why the president in his second term is always thinking about his legacy. But let me introduce you to two questions you find in the Holy Scriptures. They are questions of eternal significance. Question number one is one asked by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Caesarea Philippi. The question of utmost significance, who do you say that I am? Our whole life depends upon the answer to that question. And the truth is, you, man, if you are not enlightened by Heavenly Father, you cannot answer that question. The answer to that question is already given by the Heavenly Father. When he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. We ought to listen carefully to that question, who do you say that I am? And another question is found in the text we read in Acts chapter 2, 37 through 41. And the question is, what must I do to be saved? The answer is not to go to America. The answer is not to make a lot of money. These things don't save us. So today we are considering the wonderful effect of the first gospel preaching of St. Peter on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved and added to the church. 
3,000 people who cried out and asked this most profound question. What must we do? The question Saul of Tarsus asked when he was arrested and confronted by the risen Christ. The question the Philippian jailer asked in the middle of the night. What must I do to be saved? A question you must also ask. No one can escape this. So, how to become a Christian? How to be saved? How to get out of this perverted, twisted, warped generation? And enter into the kingdom of God? And have eternal life? Let me say first, no one is going to ask that question. No one is going to call upon the name of the Lord unless that person is called by God. And so notice in verse 39 of Acts chapter 2, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God shall call. We call upon the name of the Lord because he first called us. We choose him because he chose us. Let me tell you, salvation is God's action from beginning to end. And God saves his people through the preaching of the gospel. That is God's call. Through the word preached, God calls to salvation all those who are appointed by God to eternal life. We read in Acts 13 and verse 48. In other words, all those who are chosen by God before the creation of the world. So, Peter says the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God shall call. And turn to chapter 2 verse 21, it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I made the point already. We call upon the name of the Lord for salvation because he first calls us effectually through the preaching of the gospel. Through the preaching of the gospel, God calls the dead to life. The enemies of God to friendship and sonship and fellowship. There is the general call of the gospel. And then there is the effectual call. That is when he calls we respond and we go to him and we follow him. And we put our faith in him. And we serve him and we gladly obey him. Effectual call. There is the effectual call of the word and the Holy Spirit. And God so effectually calls those ordained to salvation shall, shall respond to it and follow Christ. We are called 
for a purpose, and that is to have fellowship with his son. The effectually called will surely enjoy forever the fellowship with the father and the son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul speaks about this effectual call in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 and verse 24 and verse 26 and in other places. Secondly, we are asking the question how to become a Christian. Well, God must call us effectually by the preaching of the gospel. And secondly, God must regenerate us. So let's understand this divine process. God calls sinners who are totally unresponsive to God. Insensitive to God. God calls people who shut God out from their life. God calls people who are living in the world, a world that is organized under the headship of Satan against God. God calls those who are blinded by Satan and enslaved in their wills only to obey Satan, the God of this world. Turn with me to 2 Timothy so that you will understand this truth very, very clearly. Open your Bible and open your mind and trust in the Holy Spirit to help you to have understanding. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25 and 26. Those who oppose him. That is oppose the preacher who preaches the word. He must gently instruct. In the hope that God will grant them repentance. Repentance is a gift. We will deal with that. In the hope that God will grant them repentance. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth. That means an unbeliever is blinded. He believes in a lie. Unbeliever doesn't have knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses. An unbeliever is senseless. Remember the prodigal son came to himself. Before that he was senseless. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. In other words, the call of God comes to people who are enslaved in their will to Satan. How can such people respond to God's call, his invitation to enjoy the heavenly banquet of fellowship with his son? It is an impossibility. With man it is impossible but with God all things are possible. Therefore, God supernaturally and unilaterally regenerates the dead. Even as the Lord Jesus Christ brought to life Lazarus from the tomb. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Born again of the spirit of the living God. The spirit who is the author and giver of life. And so St. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. 
God enlightens us and open our minds as a result of this regeneration to appreciate the gospel and respond to the call. Remember the risen Lord opened the minds of the two Emmaus disciples so that they could understand the scriptures. Luke 24 and verse 47. Remember the Lord opened the heart of Lydia in Europe to respond positively to the gospel preached by St. Paul. Let me tell you, only by the saving operation of the Holy Spirit, anyone can receive the gospel. We receive the gospel by the spirit of the living God, the natural man cannot understand things that are spiritual. He is quite capable of making a lot of money and he is quite capable of achieving great scientific feats and providing us with a new technology. But he is dead and he is incapable of understanding eternal issues or responding to the gospel or understanding the gospel. That is why we don't read the Bible. We don't ask the question who Jesus Christ is. Blinded. Enslaved. Believing in lies. Than in the truth of the gospel. Peter preached the gospel. Remember? Now let me tell you about preachers. Peter's preaching. Let me observe one unusual thing. He didn't. Gave one joke. He didn't give one nice illustration. He didn't cite one nice experience of St. Peter. He didn't say he denied him three times and many other things he did. These things are irrelevant. These things cannot save us. Now let's understand when we witness the sinners preach the gospel facts man facts man it's interesting to read the sermon of saint peter he preached the facts relating to jesus of nazareth whom god accredited with miracles wonders and signs whom god anointed with the holy spirit who went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. He spoke of Jesus of Nazareth. Who was handed over by God according to his determinate counsel. And foreknowledge of God for our salvation. Jesus of Nazareth whom they nailed to the cross and killed. He spoke of Jesus of Nazareth whom, whom God raised from the dead. Whose body in the grave did not see corruption according to his own prophecy. He spoke of Jesus of Nazareth. Whom God exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus of Nazareth. Who is at this moment seated. At God's right hand. Far of all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name 
and every title that can be given not only in this present age but also in the age to come. Do we have that conception of this Jesus? King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus of Nazareth appointed by the Father as Lord and Christ. Jesus of Nazareth God and Lord of all who comes again to judge the living and the dead. I said Peter preached Jesus not his subjective experience. We need the objective facts relating to the person of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. Do you understand him? Do you know him? Do you know doctrine? The cults, they speak about experiences. They speak about subjectivity. They speak about the warmth in the bosom. We speak about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because he alone is Lord and King and Savior and Christ. Nobody else can save us. So there is the call, there is the regeneration. Thirdly, there is conviction of sin. Conviction. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. St. Peter says, men of Israel, listen to this. Hear this. Men of Israel, hear this. And in verse 37, we read, when the people heard this. Men of Israel, hear this. Hear the gospel. And at the conclusion, when they heard this, the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. They heard the word. You know what happened? The gospel like a long sword pierced their consciences through. They were cut to the heart. They were pierced through completely and totally. This Jesus whom you crucified and disposed of in the grave has been raised up. Has been made Lord and Christ. He now rules the universe. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is not in the grave. He is seated on his throne ruling you. And exercising his total sovereignty over you. You who are mere grass and mist, and your glory is like the flower of the grass. They understood the implication of Peter's sermon because they listened. You have committed treason. You are under his wrath and judgment. The gospel was not only logical but and convincing. But the gospel convicted their consciences. They were filled with guilt. Guilt like a heavy iron girder began to rest upon their consciences. They became broken hearted. I said it was a deep conviction. 
The word gives us pain first. The word cuts first before the word heals us. If the word never stabbed us through, the implication is it never healed us. If we never experienced a deep conviction of sin, we must wonder about our own salvation. Now let me make this proposition. Without experiencing this pain, there shall be not much praise from us. There shall be not much loving obedience to this Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because we did not see our hell. We did not see our depravity. We did not see our guilt. We did not see the wrath of God that was against us. May God cuts us through. May God give us an understanding of the heinousness of this treasonous sin we committed against Almighty God and His only Son, Jesus Christ. If Jesus of Nazareth, whom we crucified, is risen, they began to think, and is Lord and Christ, they concluded correctly, we committed treason. They concluded it is not he who blasphemed, we blasphemed him. They concluded we are then doomed, he must justly destroy us and wipe us out of the face of the universe. He must send us to hell for all eternity. The word pierced them and exposed their guilt. Turn with me to such ministry of the word in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. Let me read it to you. From verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living. And active. And if it is not doing anything to you, if it is like water on the duck's back, then let me tell you, you are in deep and serious danger. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God exposed their guilt and and the word of God forced them to see its enormity. The sword of the spirit, St. Paul says, which is the word of God. And we read about this conviction and In the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 we read, They will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. That's a deep conviction. That's feeling pain in our conscience. Most modern conversions, let me assure you, do lack this work of the Spirit called conviction. We want to be saved, but saved from what? They don't know. 
And they, therefore they don't praise, they don't obey. It is all pain in the neck for them. But conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said so in John chapter 16 and verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt. Convict, cut through, pierce through. They pierced him. Now the word of God is piercing their consciences. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. And sin is defined there. The greatest sin is to reject the claims of Christ, to reject the gospel, to reject the Savior, to neglect the Bible, to neglect the Savior. Who happens to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who happens to be God. Who happens to be the only Savior for us. Sent by the Father. Those who reject the gospel treat Jesus with enmity. If one says, I have not crucified him. I consider him as a good man. An ethical man, the greatest teacher. If that's what you are saying, you are rejecting him. You are crucifying him. Because let me tell you who he is. He is God. He is Lord. He is Messiah. He is your king. And let me again tell you, he is the judge. To whom all judgment is given by the Father. You cannot escape him. The moment you die... You have to face him. He alone can save you. Now let me ask you the question. Have you ever wondered. Why Jesus came to die. Have you ever wondered that. Have you ever asked your grandmother about that. Grandma have you ever wondered about. This person of Jesus. The greatest. Event that took place in the center of history. Which gives meaning to history. It is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And his death. And his burial. And his resurrection. And his ascension. And his session. On the right hand of God the Father. The greatest thing ever happened. In the history of the universe. Because God so loved the world. As God wants to save us. Neglect of him is our greatest sin. Have you ever read his book? There is one book and one book alone is the book of truth, book of life, book of salvation, book of the knowledge of God. Have we paid heed to his claims? If not, why not? If not, the wrath of God abides upon you. And may God's Holy Spirit convict us. And may we feel the full weight of of our infinite guilt. That we may cry out. What's the cry? What monster will you do? Oh, it was not a mumbling, you know. It was a cry coming from people who were set on fire. When you are set on fire, you don't mumble. What must we do? They were given conviction by the mighty operation of the Holy Spirit. What shall we do? And the answer is what? Men and brethren, perform righteousness. Save yourself. Do a lot of work. Legalism. The Phariseeism. Pharisee says 
I am what? Blameless. But we know what happened. The book says that no man can be justified by the works of the law. If we are saying to people, if you are giving people the answer, what you should do is do righteousness. It is a counsel of despair. Or moralism. Oh well, you see, you try to live as good a life as you possibly can. Do a little good work here and there. But let me tell you, you cannot be saved by giving more money and being more charitable and living a moral life because it's impossible to do so. And the answer is not that you should get into a church and, and engage in ritualism. A lot of churches are into ritualism, externalism. You know, a lot of candles, a lot of incense burned, and a lot of uh, monkey business, stained glass windows, and everything else, and pretends that they can give you salvation. That's phoniness. That's superstition. So the question is what? What must I do to be saved? Can you tell me what the answer is? What is the answer? Repent. We don't like this word repent, which, is, which has a negative connotation. You should say nice things to us. We are cultured despisers of the gospel. As Kierkegaard said, we are cultured despisers. We don't like anybody telling us to repent. We don't like anybody telling us we are sinners. We don't like anybody telling us the wrath of God is revealed against us. We want you to tell us we are nice. We are good. We are great. We are civilized. So don't tell me about repent. Well, the truth is, that's the only way to be saved. Out of this bent, warped, twisted, adulterous generation. You have to hate sin and forsake sin. You have to lay down your sin and lay hold of Christ once and forever. And then I'll tell you, even that is the gift of God. So that you will do it gladly. Because you'll be given a profound understanding of the rottenness of sin. And its corruption. And its filth. And you will gladly let go. And you will lay hold of Christ. Let me pray this prayer for us. Because it is a very serious prayer. It is prayer for real understanding of sin. Real understanding of guilt. Real understanding of the wrath of God. Real understanding of hell. Real understanding of this world which is twisted and warped and organized against almighty God. Heavenly Father, we pray that you give us conviction of sin. That we may also cry out, is there any hope for us? And the answer is, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says your God. There is hope. Hallelujah. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, a part two of this message entitled, How to Become a Christian. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.